Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We've got a very special guest today, Megan Murphy, uh, Canadian, which is uh, always nice. I've got a couple of friends up there that do journalism and uh, uh, work like that. Deborah So is a good friend of mine. So it's nice to talk to somebody from a different area that's experiencing some of the same weird issues we are. Yeah, I actually have dual citizenship, although I've never lived in America, but I'm I'm definitely like feeling a lot of uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to have my dual citizenship, considering how things in Canada have gone of late. <laughs> yeah, you guys have had quite a bit more direct uh, government censorship, I guess, than we have in the United States, even though the United States government's kind of colluded with social media to do stuff. For you guys, it's been uh, a bit more direct. It's it's how a couple of, well, not not a couple, but quite a few, uh, I guess, political commentators have rose to prominence. Jordan Peterson being one of them. I don't think anybody ever would have known who he is if it weren't for the, the misgendering bill that you you guys have. Right. Yeah. Jordan Peterson and I were almost the only ones in Canada to speak out against Bill C sixteen mm. when that happened in twenty seventeen and. Uh, he became like a millionaire and I did not, which <laughs> I can only assume is sexism, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that what's going on in Canada is worse in some ways. I mean, what's happened in America with the social media censorship has been really bad and what we've discovered around, uh, media in general in America and their extreme biases is really bad. Um, Justin Trudeau, though, is trying to legislate against <laughs> freedom of expression online. Now, I, I think in any other time in Western civilization, you would be pretty solidly on the left, probably. Doesn't it, is it, doesn't it feel like um, exhausting and irritating that you have to deal with this bullshit? I mean, I, we, we were just having a conversation amongst the, the gr a group of us earlier today about it's almost like you find yourself in yourself in these positions these days where you're um kind of politically aligned with people that you wouldn't want to be seen in public with sometimes you know what i mean just because everything's gotten so crazy i mean i honestly have sort of stopped caring who mm. i appear to be aligned with or what people call me i think i've been called so many things over the years throughout my career that have not made any sense or are misrepresentative that at this point I'm like, okay, whatever. People are going to call me whatever they feel like calling me and I'm just going to have to keep doing and saying what I'm doing. But yeah, I mean, I was a socialist for pretty much my whole life. I came from um, a you know Marxist family. My dad was a postie in, in Canada. He was heavily involved in the union. Um, we, when me and my sister were kids, we would go on strike with him and attend union meetings. And, you know, we, we were, he was a member of, uh, our left, left party. Mm -hmm. So even left of the liberal party, which is the party in power right now, um, the NDP is even left of there. And, you know, we were NDP supporters. I was an NDP supporter for my whole life. I voted NDP in every provincial and federal election until like a few years ago, at which point I just stopped voting uh, <laughs> because they just, I mean, every I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I cannot vote for a party that claims not to know what a woman is, mm. for example. Um, but the left has become... I think so hypocritical and so lacking in integrity, so cowardly, so elitist, so uninterested in what actual real working class people think and care about. It's just, it's so insulting and it, they should be ashamed and yet they're not. Mm. Uh, yeah, you would think so. Right. I mean, it's, uh, it seems like for a long time the the I guess leftists uh, in North America, especially, can kind of consider themselves the party of the working people, right? Um, 
Not that that was ever necessarily true. I don't know that it was or it wasn't. I don't think any politician gives two fucks about uh, anybody except for themselves and their own power, frankly. But, um, you know, they at least pulled it off to some degree and people believed it. But it, that 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 epistemology is certainly fracturing now. I think more and more people are, are, are realizing that that's not the case. And there are some people, I think, that are... Um, <clears throat> maybe moving to the right on that issue. But I think more based on the data I've seen, especially uh, there's a poll out earlier this week to this effect, but it seems like more people are just um, politically homeless at this point. And uh, I wonder what the result of that is going to be ultimately, because there is so there is still so much uh, division regardless. Um, but the populist movements from the left and the right, I've said this for a very long time for uh, years now on the show that, um, they're a lot more aligned in reality than, than they will ever be based on their political affiliation, right? I mean, it's just pe- people, by and large, want to be free and left alone to do what they want to do for the most part. It seems like that's been, uh, uh, especially in North America, that's been a trait that's pretty common amongst both groups of people. And for some reason, um, their attention always seems to get captured by one side or the other, depending on you know what cycle we're in or, or how they were raised or something like that. I just... And, and I'm sure in my earlier years, I was guilty of myself. I just don't know that I don't know what comes next. You know what I mean? Like there, people do have to work together uh, to build communities and survive and shit. But what's that going to look like in the future? Yeah, I mean, the truth is that tribalism is inherent to human mm. beings. So on some level, I think I worry that this kind of um, division is not something that will fully be overcome um people like to be part of a group which i think is why people do this thing where it's like i'm on the left i'm on the right or they want to put you in boxes or me in boxes you know everybody has to be a thing you can't just be you know i can't just be megan murphy who's an independent thinker um i was on the left for a really long time i was i identified as a feminist for a really long time and now that i've sort of started pushing back against and and even rejecting those labels really in favor of independent thought and um you know coming to my own conclusions about ideas and policies and politics outside of ideology outside of parties um, then people, of course, are going to call me right wing. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's again, there's not really much I can do about those labels, but it doesn't even make any sense. Like, you know, sometimes when people say that, I'll ask them, I'm like, what are my right wing positions? Mm. Just out of curiosity. Like, what is it that you even mean when you say that? Um, but I think for the most part, they just mean not left. Right. You're yeah. not you're not seeing these mantras that are attached to the left nowadays. Therefore, you must be right wing or you're questioning leftist policies and ideologies. Therefore, you must be right wing. And that's happened to me in so, uh, so many different ways. I mean, just pretty recently, I've always been critical of of the harm reduction model. For example, mm. I come from Vancouver and. Um, Vancouver's downtown east side has always been the, you know, homelessness addiction center of Vancouver. Um, and like what's happened in other cities like San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, that's really expanded and gotten a lot worse in the past couple of years, um, in part because of progressive policy and this sort of blind dedication to the harm reduction model, but just the harm reduction model. So just give them their drugs, decriminalize everything, leave them alone, let these tent cities um, just kind of fester. Anyone who tries to intervene is violent. Um, And, you know, my perspective on all that had for a long time been around the homelessness thing like i was like you know just let let people do their drugs if they want to do their drugs they just need a home and what i've come to realize is that a lot of those people living on the street are living there by choice like they have they could have access to to living spaces but you know that addiction crime lifestyle works better for them in in these kind of tent cities but you know it's just 
it's affecting it's not just affecting the addict right it's affecting the whole city it's made that area and the areas around it really really unsafe you know like assaults are are the assault rates are are way higher crime rates are higher um people are getting attacked on the street for no reason at all and this is expanding into all sorts of other neighborhoods beyond the downtown east side um and because I, I've been talking about those things and talking about the idea, which is something that I've learned from ex-addicts, the idea that sometimes things like jail or, you know, if it was feasible, mandated rehab mm. are are the things that save these people. Um, because if you're you're caught up in that cycle of addiction and crime and you're not being put in prison, you're sort of not even really given the opportunity to clean up. Like, sure. How do you get out of that situation when you're in it every single day? Um, and so people, of course, treat me like I'm this fascist because I, I talk about things like that and talk mm. about the fact that, like, I mean, as much as, you know, I'm I'm a freedom person and I want people to be able to live their lives as they see fit. But in this case, we're talking about crime, right? Sure. We're not just We're not just talking about addiction. We're talking about crime and health hazards and people getting like assaulted and murdered so mm. it's you know it's not it's not just a live and let live situation sure <laughs> yeah i mean what's the old deal sayings uh your right to swing your fist ends at my face i believe um which right. is you know maybe reductive to some degree but yeah i think aside from the difficulty <laughs> that it presents for cities and and the people in those cities the premise that it's good for the homeless is categorically ridiculous. I mean, if your child was misbehaving, you wouldn't find a safe space for them to continue to misbehave. That's a ridiculous idea. Nobody, nobody would, nobody thinks that way until yeah. all of a sudden over the past couple of decades, for some reason it's become, it's part of like the, 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 you said mantra earlier. It's, it's almost like a cult where if you don't, you know, repeat every line exactly, some, Catholic lady comes by and wraps you on the hand with a ruler. You know what I mean? It's very bizarre how how um, how protective they are of this you, this this newly generated epistemology where there is no reality at all. Um, victims are the priority and things like this. It just it's very bizarre to me how this all happened. And I think it is. Um, I'm not sure if it happened on purpose. <clears throat> Some part of me thinks thinks it did, but. I'm not sure if it happened on purpose or if this just is the inevitable result of taking your eye off the ball, you know what I mean, in society and just letting things coast. I mean, we've seen it before, the the weird rage and violent decadence of Roman culture as it progressed through the second and third centuries and stuff like that. This is None of this stuff is new. It's happened before in human history. I just wonder, it, I don't know that it's happened this quickly before with so many eyeballs on it and people are it, it, it's one thing for it to have happened in a time where you got most of your news from some asshole shouting in, in the center of the city you know what i mean but now it's like you can look up stuff i can tell that these people are lying to me and we all know that they're lying so what the fuck are we doing here this episode of citizen is brought to you by black rifle coffee company join the black rifle coffee club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran-operated and supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roast, rounds, and delivery schedule anytime you like. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. The best value you're going to get from Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee club. As again, you can choose the roast, whether you're like light, dark, or medium. You can choose the texture you can choose whether you want uh, ground coffee whether you want to grind it yourself and get whole bean or if you use a curry and you want the coffee rounds and the delivery schedule with a wide uh, array of options for that get 20 percent off your first order with the code citizen so go to blackriflecoffee.com sign up for the coffee club use the code citizen and get 20 percent off your first order this episode of citizen is also brought to you by ghostbed dot com forward slash drinking bros right now ghostbed is offering 40 percent off ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else 30 percent off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros if you get the uh 40 off deal if you use the 40 off bundle deal you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff your base your sheets your pillows all this stuff 
for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months, that's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you, works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to ghostbed.com for slash drink it, bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best, the mattress protector, the weighted blanket. They have everything you need there, 30% off everything. Use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. Yeah, and we can we can tell that what these, these people are saying, um, these progressives, if we want to call them that, are saying isn't evidenced um, with reality. You know, what they're talking about is ideology. They're not talking about real life. This whole thing where perpetrators are, are suddenly victims, right? You know, like these guys who are addicted, mentally ill, insane, dangerous, stealing, punching, raping, murdering, but because they're, you know, homeless and they're addicts and they're living on the street, they're untouchable, right? They're actually the victims. They're not actually the victims. They're the perpetrators. Mm. And it's okay to say that. And I mean, this has been going on for a long time. I think it's just gotten a lot worse. Like, I remember when I was younger, you know, probably, I don't know, in my late 20s or something like that, explaining to one of my friends, like, you don't actually have to be nice and friendly to a guy who's like harassing you or making you feel comfortable or being weird to you on the bus just because he's marginalized, you know, yeah. just because he's like a homeless yeah. addict. Like those guys are scary. And like I knew women who got assaulted on the downtown east side by these guys. Like I've been like really really scared. I used to I used to walk home through the downtown east side from work every day. Um and I've been followed and screamed at and threatened and spat on and just terrified. Nobody does anything about it. They just all pretend it's not happening, right? But it's like there's there's sort of an expectation in, in, in feminism too and on the left that you can't be judgmental or you can't be like, you can't say what's true, which is like, this guy's a crazy guy mm -hmm. and a drug addict. Oh, all, all men sexually harass, all men rape, like all men are dangerous. It's all the same. It's not all the same. Like, yeah, technically that's true. All sorts of different men have raped women mm -hmm. from different backgrounds. But this is a particularly dangerous situation. This is a dangerous neighborhood. Men who are addicted and mentally ill and like on freaking math are not safe men to be around. <laughs> period yeah i mean would you like hand this guy your baby or something like how much where exactly is the, the line same. you know what i mean <laughs> I, I i guess I, I i find myself asking that a lot where exactly is the line um <clears throat> it is certainly the case that your behavior uh, can affect your entry and participation into society as should that be the case right i mean what you can't just act like a fucking jackass all the time and expect people to treat you like you're being nice i don't know why uh, I, I don't know why that all of a sudden became the expectation. You know, a lot of people frame it as some kind of like pathological level of empathy, but I don't think it's that because you, it, the, the results are very clear. Somebody who just lobbies for an open air drug market, for example, they do not give a fuck about that person. There's no way they care about that person because nobody would do that. If it was your child, would you be okay with them living in a tent in downtown San Francisco, walking across the street, begging for money and shooting heroin into their fucking veins. Really? That's that's you being empathetic. That doesn't make any sense to me. And those drug dealers are, are really dangerous men. Um, I was actually just in San Francisco last week and I met up with Michael Schellenberger and Leighton Woodhouse, um, who are doing a lot of journalism around that um, that issue um, in that area. So they and they were they're shooting for they're working on a documentary right now mm -hmm. so they took me on a walk through the tenderloin um which is i guess like the worst part mm -hmm. but although again it's expanded throughout the whole city um to shoot and to try to interview some people down there um and you know they explained the situation to me and like it's like these these guys like these drug dealers are honduran they're recruited by 
um, I think a Mexican gang by the cartel down there. Um, and they're really, really dangerous men. <laughs> like they're men who do really bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And to take a position of like, oh, you know, don't don't criminalize, <laughs> like, don't you know, don't don't judge, don't stigmatize, just let this happen. It's like, you know, you're you're letting really dangerous criminals run the show. There's not a single cop down there, not a single. Oh cop. yeah, I know. Yeah, I lived in Oakland and worked in San Francisco for a long time, and it was. I watched it deteriorate between like 2012 and 2015 mostly is when it started to really go downhill. And it was bizarre, man. I mean, it used to be a really nice city. Um, right. Lots of foot traffic. There's a lot of different little neighborhoods. You can go park somewhere and walk around for a couple of hours and do a bunch of different stuff. And now there's no fucking way I would do that. You know, I mean, not that I'm particularly worried about it because um, I'm a big dude that's been in a lot of fights and been in a lot of gunfights and stuff. So I'm not really concerned about that. But what? why even go there? You know what I mean? It's just... I'm not going to Iraq for vacation either, frankly. Um, no, it, and it's scary to walk around anywhere. Like, I was staying in Union Square, and it's mm. like, I don't want to walk a block in that neighborhood. Union Square used to be the cleanest part of that city. And now there's, like, just... they. I remember in 2013 or something, they put in... Um, they started putting, like, permanent outdoor restrooms around there. And, I mean, you can imagine what happened there. It was just fucking <laughs> bums going in to shoot drugs or some or whatever mm -hmm. the fuck i mean it was crazy um i want to i want to come back to something else um so <clears throat> you've talked about uh today feminism and you've also talked about it quite a bit in the work you've done and uh i'm curious if you could for the audience kind of explain the difference between classical or first and second wave feminism versus third wave or even beyond what we're experiencing today just because mm -hmm. I'm not sure people really have a good grasp on it. And frankly, I think most people, especially most people that listen to uh, to me talk for a living, would they hear the word feminism and they immediately associate it with third wave or beyond, right? But that's not necessarily right. how it's always been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I fully understand people's frustration and distaste for feminism today mm. because I feel the exact same way. And for... You know, mo for the past 10 years, you know, since I've been writing about feminism and doing radio and things like that around feminism and feminist issues, most of my work has been around criticizing third wave feminism because I think that it's stupid um, and I think that it's anti-woman. I think that it's totally superficial, embarrassing nonsense. And... You know, but but what people see and what people understand around feminism is that. So fair enough. But at the same time, I feel frustrated because the women's movement was an incredibly important movement. Um, so first wave feminism is generally associated with like the suffragettes. Mm -hmm. So women fighting for the right to vote. There was also other issues that women fought for property rights, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and it was. Uh, it was a very successful movement, obviously, but it it took them like almost a century. Like those women fought. It wasn't just like a span of a few years. Like those women had to fight for a really, really, really long time to get the vote. And they had to. Those, I mean, one of my frustrations around how the first wave feminists are painted by third wave feminists is that they're all painted as a bunch of racist white ladies. Mm. Um, you know, the the story goes that like women women wanted the vote and they didn't care about black, black people if black men or women got the vote. When in fact, what happened was a lot of those women, a lot of those suffragettes came out of the abolitionist movement and were fighting um, against slavery and fighting with black men to get the vote. And when it came around to black men getting the vote the black men said sorry ladies you've got to wait and so a bunch of those women were like screw this and went off on their own and fought for their own right to vote uh, without the black men anymore mm -hmm. um so it sort of actually went down the opposite way of, of how it's been told um second wave feminism was of course about reproductive rights abortion rights um things like sexual harassment in the workplace and also, radical feminism came out of the second wave in and around, you know, the 70s, early 80s. 
Um, so that's when we started to see activism around pornography, for example, and things like beauty standards and beauty pageants and things like that. Um, and, you know, that also, I think, was a really, really important movement. And then we came to the third wave, which started in the 90s and started with kind of like that riot girl thing, um, like Kathleen Hanna and... Um, L7 and and those kinds of those kinds of punky girl groups um which I which I think was okay it was a kind of empowerment that was like anti-rape and again anti-sexual harassment and also pushing back against girls being labeled sluts and things like that but it really morphed into this slut empowerment thing. <laughs> quite literally um like when I first started writing about feminism, one of the first things that I spoke out against was uh, this thing called Slut Walk, which I don't know if you you remember that at all. It, it happened in, in 2011 and it started in Toronto and expanded throughout the world, in fact. And it was like this march for like slut empowerment, essentially, <laughs> it was supposed to. It was supposed to be against victim blaming. That was the initial claim. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I get it from at the root level. I understand it. But that's like a bunch of chads marching with their popped up collars. for. It's just like the <laughs> the worst traits that we have. And we're going to go on a Check march for it. And like their bras and underwear yeah, so wrote like, I'm a slut across their bodies and then paraded down the street. Yeah. And I was like. Oh, this is this is very empowering. This is a really important message. This is not at all embarrassing for the feminist movement. And like, what on earth do you think you're you're achieving with this? And all of those girls were, they they tried to. This is when f feminism started trying to kind of like degender everything and started to say things like, feminism is for all genders. This isn't just about women. This is for everybody. Um, and, you know, whatever you think is empowering is empowering. Like if, if you feel empowered by wearing stilettos or putting porny photos of yourself on the Internet or by wearing makeup, then that's feminist. You go girl like that kind of nonsense. Right. Um, and of course, then we encountered all the trans crap. So all of a sudden it was, you know, a man could become a woman by announcing that he's a woman and he had to be included in women's spaces in the feminist movement um obviously in <laughs> women and girls change rooms and everything just really went downhill from there it's Sorry, uh, I, I don't know yeah. if that was a, a helpful summary yeah, or yeah, too sure, long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's interesting um that it seemed to start to kind of go downhill in the second wave a little bit. I mean, you get a mixed group. I, maybe that's just how it is, right? There's always a transition period where uh, you've got some of the old guard that just wanted to do what they wanted to do. And then other people, at some point, it seems like in, in regardless of what movement it is, at some point, people get this authoritarian bend to their messaging. You know what I mean? It's like, not yeah. only do I get to do what I want to do, but you have to, recognize me you have to support me and you have to say the same things i do otherwise you know you're you're against me it's like no i just don't give a shit what you do frankly yeah you know, if somebody's trying to stop you from doing what you want to do come find me and i'll help you out but otherwise leave me the fuck out of it that's generally the attitude that i think a lot of americans have mm -hmm. yeah i think that there is something inherent to movements where they do get a bit culty and that certainly happened with feminism i mean it becomes an industry right it's just like anything else yeah. and, and the, you have to there's a there's an old saying uh solved problems don't get out the vote i think is how it goes and it's like if we solve if we solve <laughs> this issue like hey you know what women are doing pretty well now this is we're, we're relatively gender egalitarian in the in the west now it's like no but then my organization doesn't have a purpose anymore so that's not going to work for me so we've got to find the next thing to move on to right well, and I mean, the Democrats seem to be trying to galvanize votes based on the abortion debate mm. and based on this trans thing, right? Which, I, you know, I think that the the Democrats are very clearly invested in ensuring that the abortion debate rages on forever because yes. it gets them so many votes mm. from, you know, youngish women. Um, and, uh, so, like you said, I don't think they want that issue to be resolved. And it, I mean, it's exactly true. Like mainstream feminism became 
mainstream feminism like all these all these women who are saying trans women and are women and are big name feminists you know they make a lot of money off of their so-called feminism these are careerists these aren't women invested in women's rights as far as i'm concerned i mean any woman who's like standing for planned parenthood at this point i think is full of shit like <laughs> planned parenthood is now the like second largest provider in the US of these trans treatments for kids, puberty blockers, hormones, yeah. which render kids sterilized and, you know, fuck them up for life. Yeah, um, and about 3% of their budget goes to actually actual reproductive health care, which is yeah. comically low, frankly. It's at this point it's all about money and funding. Like these people have zero integrity. The modern mainstream feminist movement has zero integrity. Mm. They're just saying whatever they have to say to keep their. But that might just be the way it goes in movements like that, right? So you have to keep pushing it farther. Like you said, if if you want to keep these young voters engaged or female voters engaged, uh, and women vote more than men do, and also there's more women than there are men in the West, so that's a pretty good marketing strategy, I suppose. But you have to continue. Uh, quote unquote progressing I guess but it just keeps getting weirder like it was late term abortion which is I, I don't I don't really care about abortion at all it doesn't fucking I never think about it I don't care it's not it's has nothing to do with me frankly I don't I don't believe in any of that shit but <clears throat> it seems like the late term thing was just to put a thumb in the eye of people who are not abortion or who, people who are what, whatever they call themselves pro, pro-life pro-life you know what I mean? yeah um and then with the trans stuff, it's like it, it's it's become a fucking clown show, frankly. Like the, this, I, I don't want to harp too much on <clears throat> that uh, Dylan Mulvaney character, but uh, he's uh, like getting a Tampax sponsorship now. The Bud Light and other stuff, whatever, dude, do what you want. You're a private company, do whatever the fuck you want. I don't care. I mean, I thought it was kind of silly, and it's definitely not. It doesn't speak to the people who drink that product which is dumb, but I'm not a fit. People are like asking for an apology. Apologize for what? They made a dumb mistake. They shouldn't have to apologize for that. They do, they're doing what they want to do. But tampons seem like you don't, there's only one thing to use that for. And I'm not sure yeah. what a man is going to fucking do with it. Exactly. It doesn't make any, that's how fucking ridiculous this has all gotten. Well, and I think his story around that was like, He's in the bathroom, the women's washroom, obviously. Mm. He would call it the girls' washroom because for some creepy reason, he seems to identify more with girls than with women, despite the fact that he's an adult. Um, <laughs> he was like in the washroom and a girl asked him if he had a tampon and he was like, this is what it's like to be a real girl. And it's not like I've never been asked for a tampon in the bathroom. This is like some TV story that men tell themselves just like girls are like having pillow fights and unhooking each other's bras for them and the, each other in the change room. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a joke. Like he this this guy is being celebrated for his days of girlhood his transition into girlhood and being paid who knows how much money a lot to promote all of these women's products he, he was modeling sports bras for nike and yeah apparently he's selling tampax and it's so it's so insulting um i mean those kinds of things you almost can't really care about because you're like well it's a horrible corporation like mm. why are you expecting them to have any kind of ethics or integrity like all of their politics are only going to be about money yeah, like yeah, yeah. all of these corporations who were like begging up black lives matter like i don't I don't think that they actually care about police violence or I mean, Black Lives Matter was obviously a scam yeah, yeah. and a joke, but I mean, these companies are just going to glom on to any kind of political movement that they can make money from. Sure. Yeah, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's his whole his whole shtick is like sexist nonsense that insults women and well, that's kind of what drag very is, weird though, how right? much supporting he's getting like drag yeah. is drag is not I, like i don't have a problem with it. i think it's uh I, i've been to shows young as when i was younger and stuff and it's funny sometimes i mean it's kind of it's but it's intended to be kind of the male perspective caricature of a woman right like they don't it's supposed to be exaggerated and hyperbolic yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be satirical I right think. right but like <laughs> that and that 
oh my God, dude. It's like we're taking jokes and making them into reality. Not not that yeah. it was a joke or anything like that. I don't, I don't mean to belittle people, but it, it was kind of. It was a caricature, right? And we're making that like, no, that's Nobody that's thought real. those men were like real women or even that they were trying to be real yeah, women. And, and uh, quite a few of them aren't even gay. They're just like fucking, they think it's fun. It's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know if it's a fetish really. It's just something people do for fun. But anyways, <clears throat> it seems like we have done quite a bit of that, which is move ridiculous things into the epistemology. And now it's uh it's very 1984 feeling you know what i mean where it's like the in the end the, the state would say that two plus two equals five and you would have to believe it because the logic of their position demands it i think is the quote uh yeah yeah, yeah that's like maybe that's the logical conclusion of having to keep that problem a problem even after it's a problem so you have to keep pushing farther and farther and at some point you circle all the way back to just being a completely ridiculous caricature of what you were intending to do in the first place yeah, I mean, it almost feels like we're being tested to see what we'll put up with. Like, what kind of ridiculous stunt can we pull now that people will go along with and or applaud? What ridiculous mantra can we get people to repeat now without thinking about it and without actually admitting that they don't believe the mantra? Um, I mean, it's I, I do literally sometimes think, I'm like, is this all like a psyop? Like, is this all just a big, like, is this clown show a big distraction so that we aren't paying attention to the real nefarious mm. stuff that these people are doing behind the scenes? Because it's so embarrassing and ridiculous. I mean, I just, I'm so embarrassed for what will show up in the history books if, yeah, if civilization yeah. I mean, is still around in 100 or 200 years. Yeah, I think, I think Elon needs to slow down a little bit because if, uh, if aliens show up right now or if we go out and see aliens, they're going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Like, like we're not, we're not going to get invited back for a second date, I don't think. Um, no, uh, like who are these jokers? I want to, I want to pivot a little bit. I want to ask you uh, about, I want to ask you about, because you're an actual feminist and not uh, a, a crazy person, um, about women's role in society, generally speaking, and how we talk, how we have that conversation. So um, it's generally been true historically that when individuals have the power they will intentionally use it to benefit society. Um, and when the state has more power, people tend to turn inward and prioritize themselves. I don't know if this is like some kind of social fight or flight situation or what it is, or, or I, I, maybe, I, maybe it's that, I don't know. But I wonder how to have conversations about the state of society and our respective roles in it without implying that somebody should or should not do something, right? Because something can be objectively good or bad, but that doesn't mean that I have the right to tell you to do it or that you should be expected to. You can do whatever you want, right? Um, I mean, I think that it's one thing. Sorry. No, no. Do you want to? No, no, go ahead. Sorry about that. Um, I mean, I think it's one thing to have public debates about what people should and should not do. I think that those should happen all the time and forever. Like, I think we should always be having conversations about ethics and morality and good practice and, you know, what it means to be a good person, what kinds of policies and practices and behaviors would build a better society. Um, but it's another thing if we're talking about policy and legislation, right? That kind of thing we have to be a lot more careful around. And I think that it's really important that we do everything that we can to protect people's individual rights. So well, because it works, right? I mean, if you, if, you, if you track that historically, the times when there have been uh, little or decentralized government control over people's lives, typically speaking, they do the right thing. They, they are more uh, charitable. They have larger families, typically, right? And mm -hmm. things tend to go a bit better. But I wonder how we have that conversation around women, especially in, like, uh, uh, where we are today with, with modern feminism, I guess. Um, so we know without question that two family or two parent homes where the mother is more is present go better for children. We know that for a fact, right? We also know that, that better children make better societies. That's obvious. Um, 
but it seems like, well, it's not, it doesn't seem like more and more likely these days that women do not have children, right? That yeah. they prioritize their career or they don't feel ready or they can't find a partner or financial issues or whatever it is. Uh, and a recent study that, that popped up a couple of months ago suggests that <clears throat> after 30, if a woman's not a mother, she only has a 50% chance of becoming a mother and it re- reduces by about 10% per year after that. Um, and we see declining birth rates broadly in the West. Um, and, and men are also opting out of that as well. It's not just women. I'm not, I don't mean, we're talking about women. That's why I say it that way. But, um, I wonder how you can have that conversation with people. Cause it's a very personal decision to make. I don't, I, I really don't think that anybody should be pressured into being a parent. I certainly don't want people who don't want kids having them. Cause that doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, but the data does suggest that, uh, uh, when, uh, if a man wants to make the world a better place, his community especially, but society generally a better place, he will father children and teach them to be to be strong and kind and work hard and take care of the people around them and be self-reliant. And women who want to make the world a better place or their community a better place will prioritize having children, teaching them to be good people and all that. Doesn't mean to imply that you're bad if you don't do that but one of those choices is clearly better for society than the other and i wonder how you have that conversation without making it sound like i'm telling you to go out and fucking you know have a bunch of kids that you don't want you know what i mean yeah i mean that's a tough one like i i don't have kids and i never wanted kids i've never had any interest in babies i've never interested Mm. been interested in having babies inside my body or in my house um, so. <laughs> is there a sign on the front door? No babies. It's like a baby with a circle and a line through. Not it. a very welcoming place to kids. I'll say that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's never that's never been a conflict for me. Um, the thing that I've noticed that is really unfortunate is that a lot of women my age, um, in the past, I don't know, let's say four or five years have realized that they do want to have kids and maybe they're too old um, and they don't have a partner. Mm. Um, Like now finally they're like, okay, I'm ready to have kids. Like I'm 40 years old. And it's like, dude, like this is not, (laughs) this is not optimal time for you to be trying to reproduce. Like you may have really missed the window Mm. here. And there is something to be said about blaming the feminist movement for that. I mean, I fully believe in a woman's right to choose, but you need to be aware of what the consequences of those choices are. Like if you do want to have kids and you do want to have a family, you really do need to start planning for that early in your life. Um, You should be thinking about that in your 20s because you need to be looking for a partner to do that with. And you need to do it before you can't do it anymore. Sure, yeah. And it's it takes sometimes years to make that happen. I mean, not everyone is lucky enough just to get pregnant on the first try. If you consider that to be lucky, I, I don't think you would. But I, you know what I've seen a lot lately um, <clears throat> is we, we've, we've spent a lot of time over the past five or six years or so talking about nihilism in young men, especially um, young men that have no purpose, that you know, the, the, the broader purpose of masculinity is to provide and protect, but there's a rage, you know, there's a, there's an underlying violent tendency to it, uh, that, that if not tempered and trained to, to be used accordingly can be used in some pretty shitty ways, right? Gang violence, Mm -hmm. terrorism, mass shooters, all this shit, suicide even. Um, and I have to assume that the woman that you're describing the 40-year-old who's just finally realized she wants children but isn't really in a position to have them anymore, that's got to come into play as well, right? I mean, you if you – if you, I, I have no idea. I know as, uh, as a dude I want to be a dad and I want to raise – I want to father children. It's, it's, there's a biological imperative, and I assume it's the same for women. Maybe feels differently, but I think it's probably close to the same. And if you realize at some point that that's not an option for you anymore, that's got to feel – pretty shitty and I would imagine it has some of the same effects that it does on men which is to say I've got all of this pent up rage now that isn't going to go anywhere and rage turned inwards is uh, depression right which ultimately is going to lead to nihilism if you're not living for some kind of purpose 
And I don't know how to communicate this to people. Young, young people are like, oh, I'll do that later or whatever. And yeah, there's a lot of societal factors involved. Not being able to buy homes, student loans, and all the stupid bullshit that we've done to kids. Um, fucking up the economy, broadly, more broadly speaking. But um, I have to assume that there's some nihilism that comes into play there. I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that a, whim, a lot of women do get depressed when they get to that age and they realize they're not going to have the life that they thought that they could have, that they were told that they could have. Um, and there's a number of lies that need to be addressed in terms of this having it all thing, which is that you can't really have it all. You do have to put your career aside if you want to have kids and raise kids. I mean, obviously, there's plenty of women who maintain their careers and go to work and still manage to juggle kids but like also you know people i think have denied the fact that mother and baby need to be together and mother and baby want to be together sure. and that's healthy yeah. for the mother and baby like you don't just fucking pop out a baby and then two weeks later go back to work full time. Some people yeah, have see to. See after high school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you need that bonding time. You need to be feeding your baby. You need to be holding your baby and touching your baby and breastfeeding. Those things are really, really important to the development of the baby mentally, emotionally, physically, as well as to the mental health of, of the woman. Um, you know, nature is still really important. And I think that we have humans have sort of taken this approach where we think that we've overcome or evolved past nature and we haven't and we shouldn't try to. That's so stupid. Um, like it, yeah. the, the hubris that we've somehow outsmarted two million years of evolution is the dumbest goddamn thing that <laughs> I think the average human being thinks, oh, I, I'm, you're, you think you're smarter than millions of years of iterations of this thing i mean it, it, think about a computer running for the last 200 years and you think you're gonna out you're gonna do math better than that that's fucking dumb yeah yeah and obviously there's lots of things that we should push back on that are bad things like murder and rape sure um but you know those those things are not bad things that's a positive thing the mother baby bond and the mother being with her baby um so that's like a a thing that I think that we need to start having big conversations about like we need to stop being realistic instead of trying to like impose this delusion rooted in politics around women having it all and you can do whatever you want and you know like you can wait till you're 40 and you can just freeze your eggs like that's another really nasty lie because so many women think oh I'll just freeze my eggs and then when I'm like 43 or so I'll just go have a baby. And freezing your eggs is, first of all, extremely expensive. And second of all, is not a guarantee of anything. Just because you have frozen eggs does not mean that you're going to be able to actually make a baby. And women are not told that. It's, I think it's a very predatory industry. The surrogacy industry is another one, too. Like, oh, I'll just go, I'll get another woman to make a baby for me, which is disgusting in a myriad of ways to pay for the use of another woman's literal body, a woman who is, uh, like, you know, almost 100% going to be poorer than you because she's doing it because she needs the money. Um, it's really unhealthy and dangerous for the surrogate it's again bad for the baby like it's just these these industries that are are framed as feminist you know like this is about women's liberation and women women's choice are are obviously more about money than anything else but are actually really bad for women yeah it's uh, interesting you say you talk about the putting the career side the or the phrase having it all it comes from Murphy Brown right I don't know if you remember that uh, show oh, of course. from the early I 90s that but that's that's where it yeah. came from she was an attorney single decided to have there was a whole story arc in the show where she decided to have a kid without a dad and all this stuff it's like oh she's a hero like look single motherhood we've we've kind of turned single mothers into heroes in our society and that isn't I'm not implying that they're not doing a lot of work that needs to get done. Obviously, that is the case. But that, to me, is more of a cautionary tale and less of a tale about a superhero. You know what I mean? It's like, it is, that's not, <clears throat> it's not a judgment on the single mother. It's that we, we should probably try to avoid single motherhood if we can. I think that's probably a good idea, right? It's not something that you should strive for, certainly, because the kid needs both. We're all, we're all fucking 
pretty binary as, as human beings. We need the empathy and we need the strength. We need both of those things. We need to learn them as early as possible from people that care about us. I mean, I, I was talking to, um, talking to a guy yesterday on the, on a show about love. Like when you, from one, from, from birth until whenever a child starts understanding complex ideas, they're going to hear the phrase, I love you probably as much as anything else because the parent wants to say it. They want to get the kid to say it back to them. It's a whole fucking bonding experience. But the, what, what it means, the phrase, I love you inside that child's head depends on how you treat them, not, how, not what you say, right? Because they're going to associate the phrase, I love you with you and how you're, you behave towards them, whether you're there, right? Whether you're fucking a dick where you're bringing a bunch of random people around them and stuff like that. And they, this is how our brains formulate a construct for the concept of love for the rest of our lives during these initial period. And I think it's probably, well, I don't think it is statistically true that it is better for them to have loving parents, right? That love them that are present, as you said, especially the bonding between the mother and the baby in the first like 18 months to two years of life. Um, but it turned into a moral issue. It's like, <clears throat> if you have this conversation with a modern feminist, they're going to bring up one. I'm not a brood mayor for the state. Okay, cool, dude, do what you do what you want. Nobody's trying to judge you here. All right. Uh, but they'll also bring up things like the gender pay gap. The gender pay gap is almost entirely the result at this point in, in American history of women who leave the workforce and both lose that several years of income. Plus, you know, their promotability, I guess, uh, for time and service or whatever you want to call it. But we turn that into like a sexist thing. Like, society's sexist because women are choosing to be mothers how is that possible yeah i mean continuing to rail on about the pay gap nowadays i think is pretty silly for the reasons that you describe i mean at one time there was a literal gender mm -hmm. pay gra gap where men were paid more for the exact same work that women were doing um, but you're right. It's because women leave the workplace to have babies and they lose that tra trajectory. They lose the uh, promotions and they lose that income. And that's how it goes. You can't you can't have it all. You literally can't have it all. And women need to understand that. Like, if you want to have kids, there are going to be some consequences. This is going to have an impact on your life. Are you crazy? It's a child. Like that you're going to have to raise for your entire life. You can't keep living as you were before. And, you know, I think that women should be able to make whatever choices they want to make. And I'm incredibly grateful that I've been able to make choices and shape my life in the way that I have because I love my life and I'm really happy. But the reality is that most women are going to want to have kids. Most women do want to have a family. Most women aren't like me. Like, mm. I'm an anomaly. I'm not the norm. And we should be realistic about that and, you know, explain to young women what that entails. Um, and, you know, like, I I do have big respect for single moms because it's so freaking hard. Mm. But you're right. It's not, it shouldn't be the plan if it cannot be. I mean, and, and I have big respect for women who leave abusive relationships yeah. um, because yes, it's important to, for that there be a mother and a father, but it's more important that a kid not be raised around someone who's violent to mm -hmm. them or that they have to watch a man abusing their mom. And that's a really, really hard thing to do for a variety of reasons. And so that's like, I think there's a lot of like, shitting on single moms and i think that we have to acknowledge that a lot of i think a lot of women do leave the father for a good reason mm -hmm. i don't think that women are leaving men willy-nilly which is i think what some right-wing pundits imply <laughs> like oh i'm just gonna get a divorce as if like a divorce is like a fun and easy yeah, thing yeah. to go through well, i think it's far more common that women stay in shitty situations longer because of the kids frankly. oh for sure <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolutely I don't, I don't know a whole lot of women who have just been in a relatively good situation, but like, you know what? I'm done. Just going to go up a new guy. Yeah, I'm like, going to upend my entire life. That I, go. that that's a trope that I don't think exists in real life. Honestly, I mean, sure. I'm, I'm sure there are examples. There's plenty of shitty people out there, but that seems kind of ridiculous to be honest. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm in no position to talk to women in their twenties about this stuff, but I wonder, I don't hear those voices. You know what I mean? There's a lot of dudes out there like me who uh, who've lived 
lives and are educated to have different kinds of experiences talking to young men about you know making a plan ensuring that you're fulfilling your biological purpose you know what i mean which i think is important we again we're not outsmarting nature here it's just it's just not gonna fucking happen uh and you can say that you're uh you're gonna outsmart and stuff this is not gonna happen man um but i don't hear a lot of voices like that for women these days maybe i'm just maybe because i'm not the audience for it i don't see it but I feel like I'm a pretty avid consumer of social topics, and I just don't see the advocates for motherhood from the female side out there. I think it, I, mostly what I see are right-wing dudes telling young women to have kids, and that, that's not not that they're wrong to say that necessarily, but that's not going to go over. Nobody's listening to that asshole. No, I don't think that's going to work. I mean, I think that modern feminism, third-wave feminism has really spent an inordinate, inordinate amount of time and energy convincing women that they have moved beyond nature and that actually talking about nature is a bad thing. I mean, in my early days of feminism, I learned and believed that evolutionary biology or evolutionary psychology was like this inherently sexist thing. Um, because it talked about nature, mm. like it talked about what was natural and, you know, men have evolved in this way and women have mm. evolved in this way. And feminism says everything's about socialization. So you can learn and unlearn anything, um, which is not true. Um, I think that it's to our detriment to believe that. And I think that it would be beneficial if we understood things like, you know, men are inherently more violent. Mm. They are. And men need to learn. And as a society, we need to address that. But also men as individuals need to understand that and take it upon themselves to, you know, take that inherent nature and use it for good. Like, I just interviewed this guy, Matt Thornton. Who's, oh, um, oh, you do? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, So he, you know, uh, as you know, brought uh, BJJ mm -hmm. Jiu-Jitsu to um, uh, Portland. Yep. And he just published a book called uh, The Gift of Violence. Mm -hmm. And what I learned from that book and from him, and I'd been learning about this a little bit prior just from talking to like MMA guys and fighters and things like that. Um, but, you know, things like jujitsu, martial arts, that kind of practice is such like an excellent and important way for men to... First of all, learn how to defend themselves and defend those around them, like those more vulnerable than them, women and children, for example, mm -hmm. and to be confident, to trust themselves, and to also not behave in like thuggish, aggressive ways, right? Because if you know, like you actually know that you could win the fight, mm -hmm. like you actually know that you could take this, this guy down who's being a dick in a bar, um, you're not, you're not, you learn not to antagonize. You learn not to pick a fight. You learn to walk away. But if you have to, you can, de you can de defend yourself. And I think that's like a really great example of, um, positive masculinity. <laughs> you know, there's been all these debates around toxic masculinity in the public sphere, which I think are a bit silly sometimes, but, um, you know, violence is not, first of all, violence is natural violence is always going to be there men are always going to be inherently violent in some way or another but it's that they need to use how to learn how to use that violence in a good and responsible way um by not picking on those who are vulnerable like women and children um animals but also yeah to to use that responsibly um and i think that feminism and i i have to admit that i was a part of this for a long time Feminism opposes all violence, you know, like mm -hmm. it's like we want a nonviolent world and like, you know, all male eradicate male violence, eradicate male violence. Male violence is bad. And when we're talking about male violence against women, yes, for sure. But again, I mean, I wish that we could stop all male violence against women, but that's not realistic either there's always going to be some level of there's going to be bad guys mm. and guys that do bad things to women and we need to learn how to deal with that and we can't just address it through mantras feminist mantras um or you know trying to socialize our way 
out of that. Um, and I think that, yeah, we do need to stop talking about violence as like an inherently bad thing because it's not in all situations. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> the toxic masculinity that people refer to oftentimes just generally as masculinity, unfortunately, but the reality is, is right. Like it, men should be more like women. That would make things better. Yeah. That's, that's not true. That, no, it's nonsense. <laughs> it's nonsense. Um, yeah, I, I wonder, uh, I've seen more and more women who, uh, such as yourself, who have been really into the feminist movements over the past couple of decades kind of circle back and be like, you know what would be nice is like real men would be yeah. nice. Dudes that aren't fucking pussies, um, you know, guys who are responsible. I mean, maybe, you know, frankly, I'm sure that has a lot to to do with the uh, the the childless mother situation we have these days because... Frankly, if I was uh, a woman in her 20s right now looking around at the, the field of prospects, I don't know how thrilled I would be to let one of them put a baby inside me. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, are they going to even be around or is it just some fucking clown who's who's going to fucking skip town at the uh, the first opportunity? Or is um, he going to sit on the couch and play video games all day? Yeah, 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 for sure. Is he actually going to grow up and be a man? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean... It's, uh, and you know, the really unfortunate part is it seems like the people that should be having kids are smart enough, quote unquote, smart enough to opt out of it right now. And it's just making the problem worse. Um, which is, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. There's nothing you can really do about that except for try to talk to people about it. But, um, that's, uh, that's a conversation for another day. We've got to get going here, but I want you to tell people where they can find you, where they can find your work. Um, all that stuff. If you've got any publications, I know you've got a, uh, uh, in, uh, current dot com. but is that like a, do you, do you have anything in print? Do you have books or anything? Uh, not yet. I have a manuscript that I wrote like back in oh, 2017 kind of thing. And then my publisher dropped me because they determined that I was transphobic. <laughs> and then after that happened, I got really busy. And then I changed my mind about all sorts of stuff. So I'm in the process of rewriting that. But it is a, it's a, it is a critique of third wave feminism. But yeah. I've changed my views on feminism and socialism so much that since then that there's a lot of stuff I need to rewrite and add. So I'm still working on that. So not yet published. Um, what my, I have been focusing on mostly these days is the same drugs, which is my podcast. And um, that show is on YouTube and rumble also um, and on Substack. So I'm writing on Substack and the podcast is there also at the same drugs. Um, Feminist current is the website that I started in 2012 to um, you know, really so that there was a space for me and, and women like me to talk about things and write about things and criticize things that there really wasn't space for in the mainstream at the time, such as third wave feminism, pornography, prostitution, and then, of course, gender identity, which we were all massively silenced on. You know, when I was trying to speak out against gender identity in 2015 and even a little bit earlier than that, um, I was not, you know, nobody would publish me. And when I did publish stuff about that, it would get ta taken down and censored. <laughs> and there were petitions to have me fired and all that kind of thing. So I'm really grateful to have had that website all of those years. I've just been moving away from it because, you know, honestly, I'm really kind of interested in talking about other things that I'm certainly interested in talking outside the, the limitations of feminism. But that is feminist current.com and i'm back on twitter thanks to rogan and elon musk um after three years i was fucking banned for three years and then i got back on so i'm at uh, megan e murphy and uh tell me again the name of the the show it's the same drugs same drugs good um i'm subscribed to it i just like to hear you say it um oh Awesome. I'm, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're doing this stuff. It's it's good. It's uh, you know, it's it's crazy how just stating the obvious has become such a taboo situation. Um, but yeah, I know. We, we live in. We live I in very some wild rarely times. feel like I'm saying anything controversial, and yet apparently I am. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. God forbid we define what a woman is or anything like that. It would be 
How really, crazy. really out of pocket. Well, look, <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming on today. It's been a really good conversation, De- a little different change of pace for our audience um, topic wise. But I, I think it's important that people understand kind of some of the craziness that's going on behind the scenes. And it isn't just it isn't just straight white males that are getting attacked by this woke mob all the time. It's pretty much anybody who steps out of line. So you can find a lot of um a lot of compatriots out there who may not think exactly like you do, but they believe in the same core principles, which is uh, reality as reality. And we have the right to talk about it. Absolutely. Um, it was great to meet you. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this. For sure. Uh, we'll do it again sometime. Uh, thanks for coming again. We appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.